Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. This is your audio guide to better cricket. We're around for about half an hour and uh, in that time we'll talk about coaching the game, we'll talk about playing the game, we'll talk about improving, we'll talk about developing your cricket. Who are we? Well, my name's David Hinchliffe. I look after things and helping me to help you are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Hello, Garris. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. All good. Bit rainy, but apart from that, it's good. That's all right. We, we get all that rain out of the way before the season starts and then it'll be a glorious summer. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Secondly, it's the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School. It's Sam Lavery. Hello, Lavers. Hello there, David. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you very much. It's uh, it, it's starting to feel a little bit like spring. I don't want to talk too soon, but uh, I may be down to four layers uh, by the end of the week. <laughs> it's a good time of year, though, isn't it? When you start to see a little bit more daylight and a little bit of a little bit of sunshine coming through. Speaking of getting on with it, um, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, a, a tactic which is often discussed at, at every level, from you know the highest the highest. Uh, international cricket all the way down to uh, school and, and club cricket and that is complementary players players who complement each other in some way or another it's talked about a lot but I, I I was thinking about what is the impact of that is there an impact there and and is there any way of knowing what that impact is um, things like left and right hand batting combinations or uh, bowlers who bowl in um, in slightly different ways, me, me got one guy who's a, you know the strike bowler who's trying to get wickets, and the other guy at the other end is just trying to tie the runs down. That, those kind of things. Uh, is it one of those things that just comes up as and when? Can you plan for it? And if you can plan for it, when should you do it? So uh, all around those ideas of of having complementary players, is it something that that we can integrate in, or is it one of those happy coincidences? I think it's a bit of everything, isn't it? Um... If you, the, the best example, I think, of complementary players isn't actually those uh, those ones that you've given there, which are obviously important, but the, the one that I think is really relevant is batting partnerships, and not necessarily left and right hand specifically, but how people bat together, I think, is crucial. And if you look down the annals of time, there'll be people at all levels, and particularly in club cricket, that have got incredible success in in putting batting partnerships together. So even at our level of school level, we've got we've got two players that virtually every time that they bat together, something sparky happens. Uh, and I think that's about relationships, isn't it? It's about understanding each other. It's about knowing how to motivate each other. It's about being comfortable, um, you know, working alongside each other. And and that to me is the ultimate partnership in cricket because actually, really, it's the only time that we ever we ever really have that that tangible closeness as a as a partner occasionally you might see two opening bowlers working together and then when they're not bowling they'll be standing next to their mate at, uh, at mid-off or whatever like that we see Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad do that quite quite a lot um, and I suppose that's again a relationship thing but but bottom line with bowlers in particular for me um, it's about two bowlers having a skill level rather than uh, you know anything other than that. So you look at the real great partnerships in Test cricket. I mean, for for years, England couldn't get past McGrath and, and Warren. Um, you know, as good of blokes as they are and as good of mates as, as they are, if they weren't any good at bowling, England wouldn't have had such a, a good problem. So, it, you know, have that problem over so many years. So I think it comes down to quality largely. But in the batting sense, 
there's definite an, an understanding between two people and we often see somebody who's not such a good batter batting with somebody who's an incredible batter but having uh, an influence on the way they play a guy called Peter Sainsbury who's no longer with us sadly uh, played um, in championship winning sides for Hampshire uh, and was coach at Hampshire for a long time he used to be put up the batting order when Barry Richards was going really well and the reason why he was put up the batting order is that he could motivate Barry Richards and, and so it would extend the innings that Barry Richards was happening, having instead of it being a, a cameo 70 he'd turn it into a 150 or a 120 or, or whatever just by having his presence next to him out in the wicket and I think that's really important it's it's one of those things then that you can say you know if there's opportunity comes up take it with both hands but can you look for it can you develop those things as well I mean you know one of the criticisms of uh, England recently has been you know their, their bowling attack has been a bit you know all right on all right on fast medium bowlers and 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 a couple of spinners who are, you know haven't been done much of a job so you know when you're in that situation do you do you seek out people who are something different and some some way of being complimentary or do you just say well look you know we'll we'll, we'll stick with the plan and, and we'll work on the, re- the working relationships and we'll try and develop slightly different skill sets with each bowler but you know we've got to go with the best players that we can get rather than trying to shoehorn someone in who is, is in there just because they're different I would, I think it probably comes down to a, a few different factors. One of them is probably going to be the level of cricket you're playing at, and and the depth of ability you've got in the in the squad. And and yes, it would be nice to um, have a range of different skills to counter a range of different batsmen if within a, a specific format of the game. And um, you can think of different countries and different um, different formats that people play in where different skill sets come into play more often. But um, I would say with, with probably 99% of cricket played in the world, it, it pretty much comes down to who are your best 11 players a lot of the time because you can't just put someone in, as Gareth said, for the sake of it. They need to have a particular um, ability level to start with to make sure that what they're offering is going to be relative. Now, hopefully, school teams and club teams and... Um, other teams that are not in the first class level or international level um, do have more than just that front line 11 and they have a bit more depth they can call upon and possibly they can um, alter their lineups dependent on what they're trying to create within within a match but um, I would imagine for the majority of them they're picking who they think their best 11 players are and then trying to develop relationships within that group and Understanding that group to get the best out of the uh, the eleven players they're picking. It is a challenge, isn't it? You know, certainly working at the level or uh, representative level that I work at now, we've got a lot of right arm, um, medium, fast medium bowlers at say under sixteen level that, that I'm working with, and there we've got so many that you can't pick them all. In fact, and they're all they're all pretty good. Uh, and then we're sort of looking around and going, well, hang on a minute, what have we got? what have we got left arm? We haven't really got any left armers at all. So then you start to think, well, hang on a minute, let's just pick the best left armor we can find in the squad just to see what we can see what we can do with him. So there's always that balancing act, isn't there, to say, yeah, someone's got to be good enough, but can you develop someone who's got something a bit different um, or do you stick with whatever your strongest thing is? And I think certainly at you know, younger age groups, um, but rather than, rather than senior cricket, it, there is an opportunity there to say, well, you know, let's let's pick someone on the off chance because they're a bit different and let's see how we can develop them. And we've certainly got a couple of players in our squad who are, you know, perhaps not up to scratch 
in terms of their skills, but we're thinking, well, they've got something, so we're going to have a look and we're going to try and develop them over the winter. And that's that's kind of the way we're looking at it there. So you, you've always got to strike that balance, have you? Uh, certainly at the age group level, I think you have definitely. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I'd agree. I'd agree with that. But I, I think also, you know, there's got to be a level of support for that person, isn't there? If, he, if that person is a left armer and comes in with uh, insufficient skills or what you perceive as being insufficient skills in terms of being able to bowl, but actually has some other stuff, then it's really important that, that the captain and the coaches get around that person to make them feel at home. Um, because that, you know, that can go the other way as well and, and I think after England won the World T20 with by putting uh, uh, Ryan Sidebottom into their side rather than Jimmy Anderson and that was off the back of statistics which only they had at the time but it didn't take very many uh, long for very many other people to come up with the same thing um, we saw a huge number of left armers starting to get deployed within one day cricket and, and T20 cricket um, and, and now we, we only really see the best ones um, and that's you know so that there was a trend that sort of sort of happened but equally if you don't give somebody the opportunity um, you never know but my view is that they need a, a significant amount of support around them as well because often the person at the middle that gets jettisoned in for a game and we saw it in the 1990s and 1980s significantly uh, with seamers in, in the UK left armour would get bought in because they're a left armour I'm thinking of Mike Smith I'm thinking of Simon Brown would come in Paul Taylor would come in because they're a left armour and uh, then they realised that they might not quite be up to the speed or the uh, the quality that they were looking for and then they would just jettison them and that and to me that's a terrible management we need to be better at, at helping people uh, and supporting people in that um, situation rather than just picking them picking them and then hoping that they go all right yeah yeah if you sink or swim with anybody then you know you're going to you're not going. You're not going to develop them. You know, if you if you just fix on, you're either good enough or you're not. And if you're not, goodbye. Then yeah, you're not. You're not going to ever going to develop anyone. And obviously, the younger players are, the more development time they've got. So you know, that's comes back to my point. But yeah, it, definitely that that idea of uh, horses for courses is perhaps the wrong word. But you know, looking at someone and going, oh well, they're a bit different. Let's just chuck them in there. You know, that that's not very not very sensible planning not very not very useful to the player unless they do you chuck them in and they do succeed um and then that's a different story but yeah if they're not quite up to scratch then you know how do you get them up to scratch i suppose is the question rather than saying yeah oh well oh well we'll just do it anyway definitely and you look at somebody like mason crane who's had one experience in test cricket for example looking at the scheduling going forward he's probably not going to have too many jump at him in the next in the next sort of uh, six to eight months over in the in the UK. So what is the support structure around him? Um, and that's really crucial because it'll be at, at one stage in his career, maybe hopefully quite a long stage of his career, where he will be ready to bowl on all sorts of surfaces all around the world for England. But uh, I'm fascinated to see what the communication is, what support structures are around him, because there is a point of difference there. But when he was picked for that first test match, he wasn't quite there yet. Uh, and I think we all knew that. Um, so I hope that those stretches are in place. Yeah, I think we all, I think I think there's enough people around that remember the the 90s, the, you know, the the pre sort of um, central contract era that you know that that mistake is not one that's going to be quickly made again. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> you would hope, not, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, let's move on. Um, let's answer a couple of questions. Questions that have been sent in by listeners to the show. And the way that this works is we answer those questions as best we can and then we pick the best question of the week, which wins a prize of an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. Robin is the first person who sent in a question this week and it's an old one with a slight twist on it. So I thought maybe we, we might be able to squeeze a bit more uh, juice out of the orange on this one. Robin says, hi, sir, I'm a fast bowler. My high speed is 129 kilometers an hour and my average speed is 120 kilometers an hour. What should I do to bowl over 140? I normally do fitness strength, but I am not increasing speed. So I guess the difference here is rather than just wanting to bowl faster, he's doing all right, um, but he wants to crank up that last, most probably most difficult sort of 10 to 20 kilometers an hour. How does he go about that? Well, I think there's two routes here. One is technical, potentially, uh, and obviously that's difficult for us to set, assess specifically, but we do know that there are a few things that you might want to have a look at, Robin. You might want to um, listen to and then see whether they are applicable within your action. Um, and the second one is maybe shifting and changing up your training, I suppose, and incorporating different things in uh, to your training, You know, whether that be medicine ball work, whether that be weighted ball bowling, which is, is something that um, uh, you know we're doing quite a lot of now and beginning to see some quite sparky results in terms of uh, both throwers um, and uh, and bowlers as well um, uh, and that's come about a couple of reasons for us is, is that one is constraints we've got lots of walls but we haven't got very many nets at the moment so it allows us to do quite a lot of work into those with specific balls um, and secondly some of the research that uh, we, we hear from Steph um, on a regular basis but also has come out of baseball uh, and pitching is quite good as well um, so uh, and kids love doing it so bowling some uh, some sandfield balls or some uh, weighted balls into walls is, is a really good way of um, firing that bowling action as, as well in a training way without necessarily always lifting weights or, or going down the conventional training route Levers, what uh, what are those technical things that you might look at first of all? You might say to yourself, okay, you know, I've got my little checklist of technical things that are going to boost speed. Where would you start? Oh, God, there are loads of things in the bowling action, aren't there? So um, I guess there are certain things that are boosting speed or certain things that you might perceive as leaking speed. Um, so you're obviously trying to cut out a few of the, uh, the, the ones that are leaking speed and, and, and maximise the ones that are... Um, uh, are producing speed. So uh, the first first thing would be: are, are we are we hitting the crease at speed? Are we are we running in fast? Are we committing to really being aggressive there and having a high running speed? Um, now, regardless of whether you're a front on or a side on bowler, even though it seems to be more relevant to the, the front on bowlers who don't have other elements in their action, which we'll come on to in a second, you've got to you generally got to run in fairly fast to to get the ball down there fairly fast. So don't overlook that um, at the uh, kind of expense or don't have another technical development at the expense of, of running in fast so keep trying to run in fast I would say for a start is a, is a, is a good point um, there are a few things in there that are going to keep us bowling fast so um, or help us bowl fast so bracing that front leg is something that's not going to leak too much speed so we want to make sure that that front leg as it lands is is bracing fairly well and we're not having too much bend in there um, which is going to then be leaking speed as we move through our kinetic chain. Um, additionally, 
for all those who are midway or side-on bowlers, trying to have um, not only a good amount of rotation, but a well-timed amount of rotation It is quite important. So looking for what's called pre-turn on that back foot. So you get a back foot landing, which may land diagonally or, or, or sideways on. Um, and then trying to get that back foot and subsequently the hips rotating before the upper body does is going to help create that slingshot effect, which is going to um, get the ball firing down the other end a little bit faster. Um, where else can we go? We've got lots more things. Obviously having energy pointing in the right direction, so trying to make sure we've got some alignment that's going to go towards the target is, is always a good thing. Um, analyzing that upper body lower body synchronization to make sure that at the moment our front foot is landing our front arm is still able to generate some power on the way back or down as someone perceive it i generally talk about pulling backwards or driving backwards if they can to drive their front shoulder forwards uh, sorry their bowling shoulder forwards um what else can you throw in? i'm sure you can pick up a few more off the top of your head david I think that that last point about the the timing of everything, the sequencing of everything is a really crucial one because you can do everything right, but if you do it a little bit out of sync, then you're going to lose quite a lot. So, you know, losing that front arm is a classic one, right? You, you, you The front arm doesn't quite synchronise with the, the, the front foot contacting the ground and it goes too soon and you've lost you've lost a lot just by having that front arm go a little bit too soon and some people can muscle the ball down and they don't necessarily need that front arm but if you're talking about making the difference between 130 and 140 kilometers an hour we are talking about much smaller much smaller differences now than if you're talking about you know getting up to 120 or 110 120 that so that's a that that's a big one for me at the moment. I'm thinking about is that sequencing of everything, getting everything in the in just just firing in exactly the right sort of snapping order, and everything get everything coming through at the right moment is is a big one for me. But yeah, the hip. You talked about the pre-turn. You sometimes you know we talk about hip drives, similar kind of thing. That's a, that's another huge one for me. You know, if you get that right, then that that makes a big difference. Cause especially at the, with the players I with work with, you do see quite a lot of people leaving that hip behind. A bit, and again, that hip's going to come through eventually. But if you leave it behind too long, then if it's not leading the action, you're not getting the separation between the hips and the shoulders. Then you are going to be losing a little bit, and that's where you can, uh, that's where you can lose out at that at that peak end. The other thing I would say is that you've got to be realistic about what you're trying to do. Everyone has a everyone has a pace ceiling. Not many people are at their pace ceiling. Um, but also not many people have a pace ceiling that is 140 kilometers an hour. So be realistic about where you can get to. Try and make small changes and small improvement. But don't be demoralized if you make, if, you know, if you make some good changes and suddenly you find that you're bowling at 125 or as, as an average, you know, or getting up to 133 as a top. You have a small improvement and you go, well, that's, that's it. I'm at my ceiling now. I'm not going to do any more. Well, that might be true, but, you know, as long as you keep working at it, as long as you keep focusing towards trying to make those small improvements, then you'll get as far as you can go. And that might never be 140. But if it is, brilliant, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you in the IPL probably. I, th I think that's really important, isn't it, that people are uh, uh, kind of aware of things, aware of how long it takes for things to develop. And, and if you want to get to... 132 then 135 and then 137 etc 
don't think that one thing is going to change in one session and you're going to learn something new and suddenly you're going to bowl with five more out five miles an hour more pace or five k's more pace um i've got a, a guy i work with at the moment who's an opening bowler for oxford university um the mccu side and and he's got a long-term plan if he's at he's at 78 79 miles an hour at the moment um but he's not kind of thinking I need to achieve everything this year he's thinking by the time I'm 24 he'd like to be bowling 85 miles an hour um, and he's committed to doing that and he's not going to kind of rest along the way and think oh, I've not made it yet he's he's going to keep going until that sort, that sort of time period so be realistic but also stay committed as you said there that Things won't happen instantly, but if you're doing the right things and you're, you've analysed your action, your work rate and the things you do in the gym and all those kind of things really well and you've got a good smart plan in place, just commit to it and bear with it because some, some things won't happen straight away and suddenly you might get a little bit of a boost along the way through growth or a combination of factors. Next question's from Prachia. And um, this is actually a, 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 a something similar. I've heard a couple of the players that I coach mention this, so I'd be interested in your uh, reflections on this. Uh, Producer says, my coach doesn't let me face enough balls in practice. We play a lot of practice games, but sometimes I only face 20 balls in two hours. How can I ask him for more? Um, I mean, quite simply, I have a conversation uh, about it, and... and as I talk to a lot of people, this is obviously a potential conflict area in your view, um, and you want to be quite sensitive about it, but one of the best methods for talking about anything which might seem a little bit uncomfortable is talk about the way that you feel, because nobody can argue about the way that you feel. Um, as soon as you talk about the way that you think, uh, I think I should be facing more balls, and people can have an argument. And whilst that seems like only one word difference, Actually, it's it's quite a big one because you're going from logical to to emotional, um, and nobody can emotion uh, can argue about your emotions. So I would always go in, and I encourage my kids. You know, at school, if they're having a bit of a challenge in the classroom, for example, and they're not getting on with a teacher, then I sit down and do a little bit of conflict management um, conversation with them, and then they take that into the classroom, and they find that they get through that conflict situation and towards a resolution, which is magnificent. So yeah, go. In there and say you know i feel that i'd benefit from facing some more balls is there any way uh, that we can get our heads together and think about um how, how we can achieve that you know whether it be having some more throwdowns, whether it be creating an extra training session but uh, at the moment i feel that i'm a bit light in the number of balls that i'm facing and and i know that i'd feel a lot better as a result of being out in the middle having had um, a fuller preparation and it would take uh, a fairly stubborn coach, I would suggest, to A, want to argue with your feelings uh, and B, not to, to listen to you. But often when we go in and say, I want to have more practice, then that can instantly put some defensive uh, markers up in front of that um, uh, that coach. So, yeah, managing conflict, it probably isn't a conflict situation, but it, it, managing conflict is, is a great way of um, being able to get what you want ultimately, which is to face more balls. I've, I've actually had this happen to be a, a, a player, you know, saying I, I want to face more balls. But what's happened twice in recent times to me, one didn't tell me at all and complained to another coach who then told me. 
Um, and then the other one just said to me, as, as we were walking into the session, he said, oh, he just said to me, oh, I didn't face enough balls last time. Uh, I hope we do some more this time and then walked into the session. So um, it didn't really give me a chance to, um, to, to help either of those guys. So uh, what, I, I, what I would like to do is have that conversation about why they feel that, what, what makes them feel that way and, and, how, and how, we, how I can help facilitate that in some way or another based on the type of training that I'm trying to get get them to do as well but what it boils down to is me with me is if a player is taking personal responsibility for their own game and saying look this this I feel that my game is is better when I have a higher volume then that's great that's a great message because that's telling me that the player is taking the responsibility rather than blaming someone else blaming a coach blaming the situation blaming how the session is run um, which you know any kind of blaming uh, you're only human if you get a bit defensive. If anyone blames you for something, that's that's perfectly normal to happen. But to be able to sort of say, look, I want to take personal responsibility here. This is how I want to do it. This is why I want to do it. That's a great message, and, and I'm always I'm always happy to to hear that. What about you, Lovers? Have you ever had that experience of, of people sort of complaining about the, the 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 session in some way and not not necessarily taking responsibility? I have had. Um some of our boys complain about sessions that they have with other other clubs or, or county sessions, but a lot of the time their approach has probably been similar to yours, that they were going about it slightly the wrong way initially, is that as in that my my response is kind of, all right, what did your coach say about it? And they said, oh, no, we've not spoken to him. I said, okay, so you've you've got an issue with your club session that you don't think is quite right for you so you've asked me to solve it or you're coming to me for it. It just doesn't seem quite logical. So I said, well, just just try and communicate with them, just go and have a chat. And, and actually what has happened is in well, logistically it's been very difficult for them to do much more because indoor facilities cost a lot of money these days. There are quite a lot of kids in. They don't like to charge the children too much, etc. Um, and you find that there's a there's a finite amount of time that people are are able to get in the net. And it might be that they're getting five minutes and they want ten minutes. It might be they're getting ten minutes and they want twenty minutes, etc. But um, it it seemed like they were doing a pretty good job at trying to get everyone as much time as they could. Just to flip it around, you know, there might there might be those people in the group, and I don't know if you have them too often, but we get a couple along the way who get look, I'm batting way too much. I'd rather be I'd rather be getting a few balls and then getting out of there because duration actually doesn't do it for me and I don't I don't want 300 balls in a session I want to hit 15 balls know I'm going okay and then I can get out there on a Saturday and I can go for it so sometimes there are opportunities from that angle of actually look some this guy wants a bit more does anyone feel like they're getting a bit too much and maybe they're logistically you can kind of create a bit more opportunity that way um, but first of all yeah communicate realize sort of sensibly with the person you're working with or that's working with you um and just be honest and do it at the right time as you said someone's communicated with you clearly they're david but at the last minute right before they're going in to uh, to start a session isn't isn't the best moment for it so if you want something to change give someone an opportunity to change it etc rather than just making a sort of off-the-cuff comment and expecting uh, expecting you to be the, the, the focus of attention for the remainder of the session from then on. 
I, yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that it's the lack of uh, skills and that the person has got in dealing with potentially conflict, which has led to that last minute, oh, by the way, I'm not getting enough balls. Because if they felt confident to deal with it in a different way, then they would do. Um, you know, you'd be a pretty much a bit of a, an idiot if you went about all your communication in that fashion because ultimately you're not going to get what you want in life so um so that's a lack of skill thing and i think you know one of the things conflict happens all over the place and they can be little conflicts like this they can end up being quite significant conflicts which are much more far-reaching you know and, and have bigger bigger consequences but ultimately if people understand that uh, by having open communication by talking about things that aren't can't be argued back at that have to be listened to whether they're right or wrong or whether they can do anything or not about it all you're asking is that person to be able to listen to you because often when you get that problem off your chest in an appropriate way and somebody else listens to it rather than putting up barriers a solution or a resolution comes off the back of that it's very rare for that for that doesn't even if it's a couple of suggestions back the other way that outside the session you could be doing something really practical to make sure that your 10 minutes in the net are most impactful when you do do get that opportunity because as sam says sometimes there's constraints that mean that you, you know there's 25 people all want to have a bat and we've got a short amount of time we don't want to charge her anymore we don't want to have any more all fees so therefore you're not going to get any more time but what could you do outside the second thing that i would say is to always think about uh, some potential solutions so there's nothing worse than people coming in and giving you uh, it's not good enough without then having some potential solutions off of it so my two biggest things are talk about your feelings think about it before you go in and come up with a couple of potential solutions what that will do worst case scenario is it will kick off the conversation um, you know they might not be the definitive answers or definitive solutions but they will kick off a conversation which hopefully will get you to a resolution point and that isn't just about facing more balls it could be anything to do with cricket and it could be anything to do with life to be honest with you yeah, to me, it's it's not necessary. I mean, the conf conflict resolution is a good phrase. Is definitely a good phrase for this environment. But to me, it's not even about conflict. What what it's really about is cooperating, right? And that's really what conflict re resolution is, isn't it? It's getting rid of the conflict and turning it into cooperation. So, so if you can think instead of going to your coach and thinking, right, I'm going to have a fight mm. with him here, do, go in as long as both people are going is right. How can we how can we cooperate to get what what is required here? then we're going to find a way. But if we think, right, I'm going to I'm going to go in and win this argument and in the end, you know, I'm going to have 25 minutes on the bowling machine and all those other kids who are waiting are just going to have to wait till exit. Well, okay, yeah, but you know, that's probably not going to ever happen, is it? That's that's a conflict. But if you can resolve it, if you can cooperate, that's that's a a, a much better solution for everybody. <laughs> And that is just about all we've got time for on the show this week. We are going to head off. But before we do, we just need to decide on one more thing. And that's the winner of this week's competition. The online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com is up for grabs. And the questions are Robin's question about uh, getting up to 140Ks and Prachir's question about facing more balls. Which one did you prefer this week? Uh, I'm going to go with Pachir's one. I thought it was fantastic. Um, uh, a really good, really good question. Real life, uh, you know, we've, we've given a couple of solutions there, potentially a couple of strategies, more importantly, uh, which could help not only you in this situation, but hopefully will help lots of people that listen to this podcast to achieve more in their practice sessions. 
Well done, Prachir. And uh, Gareth, if someone else is listening to the show and want to send in their question and maybe win that prize, how can they get in touch with us? They could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us a line on coach at pitchvision.com. That's correct. There's other ways of getting in touch with us. You can message us at pitchvision.com using the messaging system there. Pitchvision Academy is the account to look for. You can head over to Facebook and go on to there and send us a message. That's uh, facebook.com slash pitchvisionacademy or Twitter is at pitchvisionacad. You can subscribe to the show, do a search for Pitchvision Academy in your favorite podcast app. You'll find us there or go to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link to get all the old shows stream them download them and get the show notes that's all for this week we hope you listen next week but until then have a good week cheers garris cheers lavers cheers boys thanks guys